How does being a musician, a classically trained vocalist, and an onstage performer lead someone to a career in marketing? Stay tuned to find out. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Pragmatic Talk, the show where we go deep on the topics of marketing and technology to help you level up your marketing efforts. And we're your hosts, Scott and Susan Westwater. Today we have another great episode for you. Joining us is Brandy Sanders, who is award-winning woman in tech that blends creative, commerce, and content one dynamic enterprise at a time. Brandy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a really great conversation and you were telling me a little bit about your background and kind of a non-linear way that you got into marketing. So for our listeners, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into marketing? Great. Yeah. So I'm Brandy Sanders, uh, Director of Marketing Operations at Appetize, which is the leading enterprise cloud POS and management platform for food service and retail. It's trusted by many of the world's most well-known and highest volume businesses uh, across multiple verticals, including sports and entertainment, venues, theme parks, attractions, and many others. And in regards to the path that I took to get into to marketing and also data and analytics, it's extremely non-traditional. Uh, so my original background was actually in performance, a dedicated musician, a classically trained vocalist for 20 plus years, um, musical theater, triple threat, all the usual suspects, uh, studied at conservatory, moved directly to New York City, uh, lived there for 18 some years now and worked professionally across film production, multimedia, uh, and uh, started to realize, I think probably, you know, 15, 20 years into that business that First off, you're not young and beautiful forever, <laughs> which is a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow as a performer, but it is in fact true. Uh, and I started to also realize that there was a, a certain sense of like powerlessness in the position of the performer and that you're really at the whim of the production. Um, obviously life work balance is a huge challenge. And as I got older, I realized I wanted something more than a stack of playbills next to my deathbed, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted something that I could look back on uh, including, you know, having my own family, which requires time that's kind of a challenge for a performer or anyone working in multimedia full-time production. And uh, at that point, I started to look at uh, different ways to have flexibility uh, with my schedule, uh, not only just for, you know, auditions and for gigs and all the wonderful things that you could do, but uh, to spend more time with family, uh, to start my own family, and to also just kind of have more power in the way that I was running my career. And uh, that led me into e-commerce. Uh, so there was this giant Etsy boon, I think back in 2005, 2006, and I kind of rode the coattails of that, started my own site, uh, was featured in Inc. Magazine, I think with Rob Kalin and all the other uh, doers and makers at Etsy at the time, and that launched my own e-commerce site, which became um, despite my best and worst efforts, very successful. <laughs> uh, and because of, you know, having to be there, literally a one woman show for, for that e-commerce business, I had to learn literally digital marketing from the ground up, SEO, coding, Google analytics, understanding, you know, cost benefit analysis, being able to look at things like TAM analysis, who am I selling to, when am I selling? How much is it? Product descriptions, metadata, really just the entire gamut. Like I was my own business owner, right? So it's an incredible uh, period of growth that I went through. And I got so good at it that I sold that business, uh, which I was very fortunate to do to a partner and started doing consultancies for other e-commerce businesses, which at the time were popping up everywhere with the downturn uh, in 08 and, you know, tail end of 07 going into 08, you see a lot of people starting their own business because they were laid off or the economy right. shifted. And that was an incredibly great time 
for me, because what it did is it opened the door for me to go across so many different verticals, so many different types of industries and service them to get them, you know, set up to migrate, to educate them and to do uh, as much as the buzzword is a digital transformation for them uh, from the traditional brick and mortar, or even if they're just the one person grassroots local biz, uh, really building that out. And because of that, I became extremely immersed in data. Uh, data in the sense of like analytics, data science, Google Analytics, and started, um, you know, going back and re-educating myself on things like, you know, um, quadratic equations and building models and <laughs> all the linear fun stuff uh, and regressions and things that are a part of, you know, my day-to-day now. And I feel like that was a huge turning point for me because I returned back to school. I was working, still pursuing my master's degree in data science and analytics at Penn State. And I think that uh, it was rigorous. So, you know, people were partying on the weekends or taking, you know, beautiful vacations and doing yoga on the beach. And I was just home <laughs> going through a data set and writing case studies. And uh, it was, uh, a, you know, nose and book, very hard time, but it, it did pay off because it allowed me to have that kind of growth into senior roles and into leadership roles. And I think that's really led me to where I am today, which is, you know, straddling, um, straddling those two hemispheres, which is the, the creative world the content world, the commerce world, and then also the purely statistical and quantitative world of data science and analytics. Wow, that is such an incredible story of going back <laughs> and, and all, knowing everything that goes into performance. Yeah, um, five, six, seven, eight, data. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you must have the best presentations. Um. <laughs> I will tell you this, that that, uh, that theater arts degree has paid for, for itself tenfold, so... Yeah, thanks, Point Park. <laughs> that, that, that's wonderful. Hey, you get to use all of your degrees. Yes, um, that, that's impressive. Um, so as we're talking through that, like there are so many aspects that you talked about, you know, content, creative, data. What aspects of those, you know, those pieces of marketing are you most passionate about? Or what are sort of the, the nuggets that you say, all right, this is what I'm getting out of bed in the morning for? I mean, I think it's it's an interesting it's an interesting world that I straddle, right? Because I have the blend of data, like science machine learning, which is like the left side of the brain that's responsible for controlling, you know, the right side of the body and performs tasks that have to do with things like logic, like science, mathematics, measurement, et cetera. And then on the other hand, I have the right hemisphere that coordinates the left side of my body. And that performs tasks that have to do with creativity, um, the beautiful things that we create in a digital world, the, the human elements of marketing, et cetera. And I feel like, you know, I straddle those two hemispheres uh, in the sense that I have obviously the non-traditional uh, background of, you know, hyper-creative, uh, doer, maker, uh, a person who understands the power of presentation and aesthetics. But I also know that, you know, form and function, that balance that comes between the two and the value of them. I think it was um, Peter Drucker had said, uh, and this was just in a Forbes article I saw, I think it was Denise, Denise Yon wrote it. Um, the purpose is to create a customer. The business enterprise has two and only those two, which is basic functions, marketing and innovation. And I feel like my particular background really lends itself to that because I know what looks beautiful and what, you know, what can engage people and make them stay and keep their eye on it because there's a certain power and presentation ability probably made that word up right there, but there's a certain power in the beauty of things, but there is an absolute need for function and measurement. And I think that that is uh, just a unique characteristic. I know that I, I bring into my work and it, 
it really does get me out of bed in the morning because it's wonderful to be able to watch the data dance. And in a sense, patterns, trends, uh, repeatability, all of those things are inherent parts of like the performer's minds because obviously we're, everything is a pattern. Everything is repeatable, whether it's a script, mm-hmm. a dance, or you know, uh, a generation of pipeline, <laughs> understanding trends, seeing things, and, and really being able to kind of tie the, the beauty of creativity and media and production and value and marketing to the quantitative scientific side that I think, you know, I held in my back pocket for a very long time and probably did some dishonor to it because I was discouraged, you know, when you're younger, uh, particularly I remember a guidance counselor, you know, science is for boys, math is for boys, which was staggering to think of that someone mm-hmm. said that, you know, right. you should just stick to the music and the dance. And I remember thinking, you know, some of the greatest minds, some of the most creative people straddled those hemispheres. You do not have to be one or the other. You can be an excellent blend of the two and have um, the ability to to switch that that part of yourself so that you can look back at the aesthetics and say there's a value in that, but switch over and say functionally, how does it function? Can it be measured? You know, do the aesthetics line up to the literal technology that's behind that ask? Yeah, and and you know, as diving into that a little bit more, you're talking about doers, makers, and, and thinkers. Um, during my career, I've actually experienced at times where um, another, I think bad paradigm that needs that's been blown up a little bit I think is that whole concept of you're either a thinker or a doer um Mm -hmm. meaning you know you either are this strategic big picture person or you you get stuff done and it sounds to me like you know you're of the same the same mindset of it's great you, you need to have that strategy but you need to be able to to be able to do um can you expand on that a little bit oh yeah I mean I feel like there's this mindset. So like some think, think about, I'm trying to think like here, like a great marble sculpture, right? That person had to think about how they were going to artistically create that from a hard element, right? So the person who's standing behind you, they're going to learn from you by proxy, right? So if you yourself cannot execute on something or you have never executed on it or you don't have intimate granular knowledge of execution, how will you ever teach the person or manage the person behind you to do that? And I use sculpting marble because it's obviously incredibly difficult. Uh, And I mean, I would say there are challenges in business that kind of align with that mentality. And I feel like I know I have to straddle both both domains, the technological and the functional, like things like Google Analytics, Tableau, quantitative reporting, modeling, et cetera. Like that's, that's the technical domain. The creative domain is multimedia production, things that are, you know, human, like social media, digital marketing, that's that domain. And then the leadership and demand gen sales domains, which are their own unique beast as well, where there's things like pipeline, funnel velocity, et cetera. So like each domain requires its own language to be translated back to the other stakeholders and their respective realms. And, you know, you look at, if you think about it, like, you know, sales is really kind of looking at things, uh, you know, three minutes from now, because they're, they're closing <laughs> for the quarter they're in. So they have a very close up close hunter view. They're hunting right. for now. Marketing is seeing things from six months from now. So we're farming, we're nurturing, we're building, we're sandbagging. And leadership is a step even further back which is three years from now that requires them to be somewhat visionary and and use things like predictive analytics to really kind of look at where things are going. And I feel like I serve as like a diplomat and an operator cross-departmentally 
So for me personally, and this is my own bias, but it can never really be one or the other. It has to be a 360 immersive strategy and tactical processes, structures, and execution role. And I mean, that's, that's unique to me, I feel like, but I think that, you know, it definitely, it benefits people to have had that granular experience because it's necessary to one, teach the person behind you. And if you're not directly responsible for managing them, at least be able to know if you're getting a report, can you actually understand the data that's in that report or the asset that's been handed to you? Is it whatever is necessary for the business objective to be completed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there is that that need to have um, some sort of practitioner experience um, because there's a lot of uh, reality that comes out once you start trying to apply a theory and there's no other way to learn it, I think, without trying to do. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, and one thing that you touched on that I think is really interesting is like the idea of the, the six minute view uh, with sales, mm-hmm. the marketer view where it's a little bit more six months and then like leadership's kind of view like three years down the road, mm-hmm. you know, and one thing that you and I had talked about last time was, you know, over the, the past, you know, 20 or so years of our careers, we've seen three mm-hmm. major shifts in consumer behavior. So, you know, we've mm-hmm. seen the birth of the web, we've seen social media, we've seen mobile, and now we're actually going through this fourth big transformation when it comes to voice. What's one of the early lessons that you learned from, you know, either your e-com days or mm-hmm. some of the other things that you've worked on that you think would really help marketers understand what's happening with voice and quite honestly, really start to prepare for this, this next major shift? Right. So <laughs> there's two things that pop to mind uh, almost comically in my mind when I think about this. So I think it's a great question. And I am, again, to admit my own personal bias, I'm a bit of an early adopter, right? So I do have biases on this answer, but you know, anecdotally, I can remember when someone told me, and this was, this was a CEO, uh, this wasn't just, you know, an intern, <laughs> this was uh, a CEO, uh, that I was working with in an e-commerce capacity. And I had sat down and I had this report that was talking about, you know, predictive trends and literally looking at, you know, dot gov reports on where people are shopping, how they're shopping, the trends in retail. This was prior to like, what you know, is this, commonly referred to as like that, you know, the brick and mortar apocalypse, right? Retail apocalypse. And uh, quite some time ago, uh, thankfully, (laughs) Uh, but I was sitting down with them and showing this report and saying, you know, um, this data is statistically like quantifiably factual and this is reality. And I think what we need to do is to look at investing more into e-commerce because we have a solid brick and mortar model uh, that was just, you know, legacy account. It's been there. It's in a highly visible place, but I think we do need to look at e-commerce and we need to start developing around that. We need to talk about headcount. And then we also need to, you know, lean into our social and digital channels. And I'll never forget <laughs> because I was sitting there with like, you know, this stack of reports that really backed up what I was saying, because you always have to come with facts mm-hmm. when you're asking for budget, you need to do that research before you need to come in armed with the shields. So, quantifiable results that support whatever ask it is that you're doing. And I I did my homework and he said, e-commerce is a fad. (laughs) 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 And uh, yeah, we're not really worried about it. You know, the store is doing really good. So we're going to go there. Um, And (laughs) this is the, the, the same person I had had a chat with as well on um, social media 
uh, when I'd said, you know, I'm just, I'm reading like this, these reports that are coming in and there's a lot of data to suggest that social media is, is growing like really rapidly. This was with the advent of Instagram and there was a lot of channels that were popping up everywhere. And, you know, it seemed like there was some data that would really support this. And he wasn't the only one that, that had the opinion about social, but he said, you know, it's a fad. Like teens are using it. Like we're not selling to teens. Our product isn't aimed at teens. And, um, you know, both times I'd come in with a, 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 tr- a radio flyer, a bulldozer full of data to support this analysis and this ask. And, and I think, you know, that opinion wasn't valued. I've since uh, then learned, you know, how to carefully choose leadership and make sure that when we have quantifiable statistical evidence that it's valued and honored and that there's a, a certain threshold that I think is a, appropriate for saying that is factually wrong yeah. <laughs> and, and move past that. But um, I think I think there was like some tremendous thing I just read the other day that really reminded me this of this story, which is that e-commerce businesses should anticipate like a, I think it was a 265% growth rate from like 1.3 trillion in 2014 to 4.9 trillion in 2021. And I think it was by 2021, it's going to account for literally almost 18% of the global retail sales. Literally. Wow. Global retail. Yeah. 18%. And yeah. that, that is something that has always stuck, stuck with me when we look at paradigm shifts in the digital marketing atmosphere. Right. And I really feel like there are other things that tie into that, that, you know, and when we're talking about what, what should marketers be doing, what should they be preparing for? I mean, clearly we can dig into voice for sure. But in addition to, to voice, there's things like the shoppable posts. I think it was 72% of Instagram users purchased a product on the app. I know for me, it's terribly higher than that, which is helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks shoppable posts. Um, But even more impressive, I think it was like, 4,000 Pinterest users found that 70% use Pinterest to find products. I mean, that's like a a staggering amount if you really think about it. There's the VR and AR tie-ins as well. And that's not going away. In fact, I think at the end of just this past November, Facebook, um, oh gosh, I think this was uh, really based around their content ecosystem for Oculus, the the VR headsets. Mm -hmm. They just acquired Beast Games, SRO. I think that's a, a small VR studio, but they're behind one of the world's most popular immersive video games. And it's just a sign of the time because when VR enters the mainstream, if and when it does, video games could prove to be like a huge revenue driver. Sure. And I think there was, a, there was a crazy estimate that like the gaming market was worth over 150 billion today. It's estimated to reach 196 billion by 2022. Yeah. And that's at like a 9% compound annual growth rate. So those studio acquisitions around VR, like the Beats game deal, I mean, when you see Facebook trying to capture a slice of that spending and diversifying its revenue, it's, it's a sign, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a sign of the times that like VR, AR aren't going away. And that that goes for interactive content, personalization, mm-hmm. things like Google ads, smart bidding. Um, for those who aren't familiar, that's really a subset of automated bid strategies that optimize for conversions or conversion value. And it uses machine learning, right? So it's machine learning to optimize your bids to maximize conversions and the conversion values across your campaign. So, you know, target CPA, target ROAS, max conversions, enhanced CPC, et cetera. Um, those are all smart bidding strategies. That content marketing and video content are just growing at such exponential rates. And there's things like, you know, SERP position zero to keep in mind too. Like yep. it, for those of who, again, aren't familiar with that terminology, because I know marketing, we literally love to make acronyms. It's our <laughs> thing. 
Like literally, have you ever just been in a conversation with a marketer and you just make up an acronym and they're like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Happens all yes, the time. Actually. I'm going to get my CTA <laughs> on my BLS or my DOA. Right. Like, wait, what? Yes. And then, not and then people yes. walk away and start looking up what those terms are because they don't actually yes, know what they mean. They're yeah. Googling, they're Googling yeah. it at the cash bar trying to figure out what the hell you're talking yep. about. Oh yeah. We used we, to have a say tech. Yeah. And walk away. Right. Oh yeah. Tech. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. We used tech, to have yeah. a PDF. Uh, we would give that. people. <laughs> it's almost like tethics from Silicon Valley, but I'll, I'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, sir, so sir position zero, it really refers to Google search results that appear above the, um, the organic SEO listings. These are also called things like um, featured snippet. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with that, like P0 rank zero featured snippet. And it's it's basically Google's way of directly answering searchers' questions without needing to click like the search re- result link. So it usually appears as like a box on the upper right. Um, and I feel like all of those things in addition, in addition to voice, which, and I can dig into voice for sure. Um, there's a lot there to, to unwind that onion, but I think they're all imperatives, right? So these aren't things that are, just happening in 2019 and are going to, you know, dissipate in 2020. If anything, they're gaining momentum. And there's, again, quantifiable statistical data to support that trend. Yeah. And I think that it's marketers and, and, and it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's the mantle for both marketers and marketing technologists, data scientists, anyone working in this realm uh, behind, behind the camera effectively is that we have to be Comfortable being uncomfortable, which means that yep. there is mm-hmm. no stasis period. There is no point at which you plateau and get to mad men in the corner and, you know, <laughs> hang out guys. We're chill. We did everything that we could. We're done. Right. Like it, it's tech is ever evolving. Marketing is ever evolving literally by the minute, by the day. You know, yep. we could walk out the doors today and there could be a, a GA algorithm boot and we're like, oh, that just changed our entire strategy for 2020. So, I mean, I feel like, I feel like you have to stay extraordinarily nimble and as buzzwordy as it is agile, you have to be rapid learning agility and you have to be able to position yourself and apply, you know, that 360 immersive view when you're, when you're managing that and planning for the future. So with all of those things that can be easily very overwhelming, Yes. Do you have any <laughs> simple tips or, or tricks that you follow to keep up or at least know what you, you know, as you look at that of how, what is going to be the QR code and what is going to be the web um, and, and at least differentiating and prioritizing as all of these things come across your radar. Um, what do you, what are some, what's some advice you can give? So I think that it's important to understand what the business is our that's literally going to inform everything. So whatever it is that you're doing, you would have to have already had kind of like a punch list built out for what leadership is looking for. So is that our our big goal for this year is to obviously grow the business, grow revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But specifically beyond kind of like that lofty high level view, um, I think there are tactical and granular things that, that you can do. And I mean, we could go, there's, there's a lot of different tools that you can use to do this and mindsets that you can apply to that in many different methods. I think it really depends on the marketer themselves. Um, but if we, if we think about, for example, um, and I know we talked about this before to uh, Scott, but you know, there's this idea that um, <laughs> you're talking about like high level. So there's like that, the lofty statements, right? right. Which we chatted about, which is like these very, high level kind of buzzworthy, buzzworthy, um, very conceptual ideas of how to prepare for things, particularly for voice. And I think that people like, and I know we mentioned this before people say, Oh, it's a big deal. Like we got to get ready for it. 
right? What the hell does that even mean? (laughs) Do you step off to the corner? Because listen, like I've been doing this for a while and and I've got some chops, but guess what? Every single person is going to step off and Google something and say, how the hell do you do that? Does anyone know how to do this? Dude, have you done this before? Can you show me a template? Like share with me. And I feel like tactically, you know, all those statements that they make, like, oh, hey, we, for example, we talked about like the breaking silos within the organization and voices, voice, and it's a huge deal. And you've got to do all these things and prepare for everything. So you really can't do everything at once. And I feel like, of course, hell yes, all those statements are true. But I also hate hearing them because they're almost entirely conceptual, right? Mm -hmm. And they're usually from someone who doesn't, and this is, take it with a grain of salt. I'm sure there's someone out there who's done both, (laughs) but there's someone who has no knowledge or won't be, for example, directly responsible for the how. Right. Right. The granular execution of what you are asking me to do. Like most of these people couldn't even give you like a punch list for step one. (laughs) So it's like, what does that mean? Make it pretty. Wait, what? What does that mean? Make it pop. That's another thing you hear a Uh lot. Oh my God. If I hear one more person say, make it pop for digital design, I'm going to lose it. Um, <laughs> I was like, could we hit pause? I I've got to take a call in, in the hallway and then you just step out. And it's like a primal scream mm-hmm. because it's all conceptual. And so for me, I like to start with basics and build up from there. So, and one of my favorite things to say is you really, you can't take a seed, put it in the ground and expect a sequoia the next day. Right. So like, this is the same for business. It's same for anything that has quality. Like it's, I know move, move, what is it? Move, move fast and break things. Experimentation, innovation, absolutely necessary. But it's also important that we, we don't surround ourselves with people who just say yes to everything. Sure. <laughs> we want right. to make sure we're being tactical about things, right? And I think for me, personally, particularly for the voice space, organizational buy-in is absolutely massively huge. Absolutely. And I think that you can't just like walk in as a marketer and say, hey guys, we're doing voice marketing, Right. Um, and maturity in an organization is pretty vital there as well, because you can't even do like a test pilot if you don't understand your consumer's behavior on voice. So you'd have to have your optimized content for how people would be using voice. Um, for example, I always like to mention this, like smart speakers only give one answer at a time. One answer. So if you are not first, you are last. That's it. It's not Google. There's not 15 Alexa answers. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't get like someone coming on and like, and also, you know, she doesn't give like 15 answers. It's one. So if you're not first, you're last. And so if you're going to make an investment or try to tie voice into your, your marketing for 2020 or 2021 at this point, you would need to respond to consumers with answers that are related to your business. So that would be prompts that are like informational and action-based and that is a great amount of research that you would have to do about your business and the identity of your business, the persona, the customer, the market, how we're talking to them. And that's like the entire customer journey from discovery to action. You know, like how is the, how would this voice app be assistive, you know, throughout the entire customer journey and across both like explicit and implicit prompts. And to have that kind of knowledge, it just requires a hell of a lot of groundwork and research. You don't just like walk in and go, we're doing voice. And yeah. then, you know, confetti falls from the ceiling and everyone dances a jig and, right. and you've launched a successful campaign and the pilot's brilliant and everyone's on CNN or something. So, I mean, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that there's a strategy that has to be built and that, you know, that ties in things even like <clears throat> making sure that like digital assistants would have accurate real-time information about consumers, mm-hmm. right? A lot of that is powered by AI and machine learning. 
And you think about like these machines are fed with like multiple data sources so they can get like a complete view of the consumer. And that requires a lot of resources. So if you have like a one person marketing team, this may not be actionable, right? right? You would have to look at external resources. You would have to look at literally the technology that's required. Like, do you even have the bandwidth literal and, and metaphorically to execute on this? And I think that testing and learning like keep testing and learning to ensure like that strategy is actually driving real business results and encouraging that culture of experimentation. Um, that would be driving it. But I mean, that punch list is, do you know your consumer's behavior? Do you do that? Is this even an appropriate channel to engage them with? Right. Would yep. you be able to answer those top 10, you know, um, what is it? Informational and action-based questions. And then do you have access to real-time information about the consumers? Because um, the dirty secret is that not a lot of businesses do. <laughs> there's a lag time, right? Yeah. There's a lag time. There's inventory lag. There's push-pull systems, multiple APIs, you know, all kinds of different things that can affect the actual latency of what we're pushing, pulling, and feeding into our own, our own way of digesting that data. And yeah. so I think right off the bat, like tactically, those are the research points that you would have to do. And I feel like a quick Google search really can outline this. And I have a document as well that I can share with the audience, but I really do feel like you must know that consumer's behavior and yep. be able to anticipate those responsive. In, in and of itself, that exercise of discovery could take months, if not longer. Well, and this is all music to our ears because this is exactly why we wrote the book that we wrote on voice strategy to give mm -hmm. people actionable frameworks to yeah. actually understand yeah. what their audience is looking for, what the business objectives are, where voice might actually fit in the different parts of the consumer journey. So really everything that you've discussed here is actually all things that we cover in the book, which is actually great because now we have third-party verification that we, we were definitely on the right path when we actually wrote it because it's really predicated on our 20 years of advertising and marketing mm -hmm. experience and a lot of the things that we've seen that either should happen or hasn't happened within an organization. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times we'll go in uh, for a voice engagement and one of the first things we find out is people don't necessarily know who their exact audience is or audience mm -hmm. members are. Um, and you or know, potential new audiences. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Like, and yeah, so, that's the whole thing is like, you get really focused on the now yep. and, and this is where I talk about the three foot, you know, three feet view, you yep. know, the six months. And then that three years, that three years is incredibly valuable because there has to be someone at that 30,000 foot view right. who could say strategically, there's an emerging market here Yep. for yeah, our product or our application or whatever it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's certainly something that we find most people are struggling with. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times when we go in for a voice engagement, we actually say, all right, let's get your house in order first. Let's figure out the journey. Let's figure out who the personas are. Let's figure out your brand persona. And so mm -hmm. a lot of the really um, more basic foundational work we find is something that really needs to be done first. And there's mm -hmm. been situations where we've basically said, you guys aren't ready for voice yet. Let's yes. take a step back. Yes. Let's yeah. get all the pieces in order first. And right. then once we have this all worked out, then let's move forward into the new space. Yeah. And I think that's shiny object syndrome. Yeah. So like, I, and I know I mentioned like, you know, that, that innovation earlier, but 
you you really have to think like, and, and this is kind of like a double-edged sword when we, when we talk about those things, because there's a wonderful, you know, aspect of things uh, requiring agility and this constant organic growth where every day you wake up and it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And there's also that shiny, the other side of the sword, which is distractibility. So you get shiny object syndrome where you'll have someone walk in and they'll say, I saw this thing on the news and like everyone drop what you're doing, stop the presses. We need to do it. And, and that's, there's a, there's a wonderful joy in that, but then there's also like the reality check, which is like, statistically, do we have the resources? Do we have the budget? Which is everyone's favorite question, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because it's like, well, you're giving me this budget that is, you know, kind of like a Dollar Tree budget. And then we're asking for Barney's results. Right. Right. So I'm going to tell you, we're going to go back to the drawing board on that. And so I feel like, you know, there's, there's kind of a disconnect there. And I think that you know, it's great to get excited about those things, but you still have to do the grunt work. I'm sorry. Yeah. Some people groan when you say, uh, when you bring that kind of stuff, oh, oh my God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, do. I mean, I think it's this. I love it when people are like, I think our, I think our thing is this. And I'm like, wait, where are you basing that on? Well, uh-huh. it's yeah. like, that's who it is. And I'm like, are you sure? Because right. you're only looking at 2% of your accounts right now. Right. If you stand back and look at the other 98%, you might be astonished at what little you know about that customer, how they buy, when they buy, why they buy, who they buy from, how often they buy, you know, where, the, where they're buying it from. I mean, like these, these are just like fundamental questions that you have to know before you go anywhere near voice, like, because you, you would be throwing good money after bad. Yep. Yeah. It's right? kind of, ex- and you, yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. an exciting time because we get to go back to basics a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of go back and say, hey, remember that customer journey exercise I had to do when I was learning about this? I actually get to do it again. Um, yes. Versus all those years of, well, we don't need to do that. Everything is, you know, we'll, we'll go with this. Um, I groan every time someone starts with a, wouldn't it be cool? Uh. And it's like, no, no, no. I mean, it would be cool, but that's not, that's not what you spend a million dollars on or even tens of thousands of dollars on. Right. Um, wouldn't it be cool is not going to be a good answer uh, yes. for why. Yeah. I, I am 99.9% statistically sure that if you walked into a board meeting and said, hey guys, wouldn't it be cool? We did this. And then they asked for measurable results and it was just like, but it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like love to see the results. I would love to see the reactions because I mean, I can see the, I can see the table in my head and, uh, probably not going to be the facial expressions you're hoping for, right? So, I mean, I think it's important. And and this is why I love being able to measure efficacy because it's important to be armed. Like it's important that there's a shield in front of you and your work as well as your team, right? So you want to protect your team. You want to protect your work. You want to make sure that, hey, is what I'm doing effective? Because we're here for hours at a time, right? Uh, if not days at a time, depending right, upon your role. Right. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like you want to be like, Hey, is this a good use of our time? Like, are we being effective? And if not, like, how can we look at that for the team, for ourselves and, and make sure that, you know, we're armed, we're battle armed with data that supports the work and the, in the multiple asks that we do, including things like investing in voice. Yeah. No. And, and I love that your, your it, data is a shield, not necessarily a, end all be all reason or, or a driver. We talk, you know, there's a lot of, of focus on data driven, but one of the um, one f- twist on that statement that I've heard before that I really appreciate is about being customer driven, but data informed. 
and, and the idea that they have to work um, hand in hand. And obviously with your background working and combining the creative, the content and the data part of that, that does help you get that um, much more rounded Mm -hmm. uh, type of perspective, which is very helpful for folks to have, um, because it is easy to kind of just rely only on the data, but if you don't have that other yes. side of it, it can get a little, uh, just as murky. I, I think. Yes. Well, you can drown in data. There is a, a thing as where you literally get so immersed in it that you don't have your finger on, like on the pulse of the business. So for example, like in demand gen and digital marketing, there needs to be like an open door between sales and or BDRs or demand gen or creative. Like there has to be, and, and I know we talked about kind of like the, the breaking down of the silos and things like that is like the lofty statements, but there has to at least be a tin can with a string because, <laughs> with, right? There has to be something. You, I don't care if it's the chat app, it's got to be something. There has to be at least, you know, these periodic really very transparent conversations because the people picking up the phone or sitting down with clients or even engineering yeah. the product, each of them have a valuable viewpoint. And so I think that those instances where, and, and I, this is why I love living between those, those domains, um, those instances where we have to say, hey, you know, we've seen a need for, I don't know, XYZ integration. And this is coming from the front lines. Like everyone is saying, oh, the systems are changing. We need this integration. You can carry that back and have it be actionable, right? And that's something that's coming from the person who's picking up the phone and having like a direct conversation with a client or a customer. Same for products. Like, hey, we, you know, we've noticed this product is on an uptick. We're seeing a lot more of it on the sales side. Um, what do we do about that? Do we have what we need to answer that demand if it's suddenly hockey sticks, Right. And I think being able to, to keep that open dialogue and make sure that like you're seeing it from that 360 view, which is taxing. Uh, this is not easy. And I feel like, I feel like that doesn't get said enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is not, it's not posh, baby. This isn't right. Mad Men anymore. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'll take the dresses. You can hand me all that fashion, but <laughs> I'll take the hair too. Why not? But I think that um, it's not what it was. It's not just handshakes and verbal and we make pretty things go la la la. And you know, um, it's not just the jingles. <laughs> if you want right. to talk about the power of marketing, right? The best part of waking up. I mean, <laughs> everyone can everyone can, you know, mostly finish that or give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Right. Everyone can finish it. So there's a power in marketing and the, there's a power in that novelty, but I, I think that there's also a power in being able to say this is not easy to do. Like someone rewrote that a thousand times, right? Or had, you know, the muse visit them. And I think that there's, there's a certain kind of um, mentality that you have to adopt in order to be successful in that, particularly as you branch those different, those different domains. Because salespeople have a very unique way of looking at things versus marketers, versus the creative team, versus the engineers or the product developers. And being able to intelligently speak to all of them and make sure that like, hey, if they're saying we can do this, but not this, or if then that, but, you know, like these true false statements, it's important to document them and make them visible to everyone because then that's when the quote unquote breaking silos thing really starts to happen. Like in that, again, not easy, very conceptually wonderful to say, but um, working in this business, working across these different domains, whether it's, you know, B2B SaaS or e-com doesn't really matter universally that uh, level of visibility, transparency, 
And then having that data being informative, but not drowning in it and getting the fish eye mentality is, is super important because it's, it's all about quality, not quantity. And I can say that till the cows come home, <laughs> but literally quality, not quantity really does matter because it's not just how much data, all the data, all the APIs, all the streams, what are you doing with it? Yep. Yeah. Like, is it actionable? And if it's not, then, you know, we can continue to measure it for historical context, but how does it relate to, what, what does GA mean to sales? Right. You yep. know, what does social mean to product? Yep. And All like you two. said, it starts with uh, a tin can with a, with a string <laughs> on it and just walking in or, or pinging yeah. someone and saying, hey, let's, let's talk, um, which is the amazing thing of all of these brilliantly informed ideas and things that you can act on. It all starts with just kind of reaching across and saying, hey, let's, let's talk about this and finding that other advocate um, on the other side of that fence, so to speak, who's willing to talk and, and, and conquer that together. Right. And I think that that comes down to management too. I think that it's important that, um, and we can, I know we mentioned that too earlier, Scott, like just management styles and we could definitely, I'll definitely like punt that one in a minute, but I feel like uh, it's important who those stakeholders are because they are the facilitator for all the activities that you're doing. And if you want that successful business, you really have to have people who are willing to step up into enablement. And sometimes as, as again, I know it's cliched, but the wear many hats thing, it really does kind of come across that aisle because you have to be able to put yourself in that position and understand like, how are they digesting what it is that we are creating? And that goes across things like product, like how is the user using it? What are we hearing on social media from the user? Or what about the product? What about digital? What about creative? All these different things. I think it just requires a certain type of agility to be able to to maneuver successfully and management is a huge crucial part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brandy, this has been a great, great conversation. Um, so much that we've covered. Uh, I feel like we're actually going to chop this up into two different episodes because I think there's way too much for people <laughs> to get in one sitting. And I certainly want them to be able to hear and absorb everything that you've had to talk about. What's the best way that someone can get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out? Well, I, I do not have a, a SoundCloud, SoundCloud to drop here. So, <laughs> so I would say the best way, the best way to get a hold of me would be uh, obviously through LinkedIn, uh, Brandy with two E Sanders, uh, or also on my website, uh, www.brandysanders.com. I'm always willing to take conversations, mentor, give advice, uh, kind of connect you with the right people. I have a really brilliant uh, group of people that I've had the uh, truly fortunate to have collaborated with across so many different verticals, production, multimedia, film, video, stage, screen, and then on the technical side, just some brilliant B2B marketers, traditional digital marketers, and you know, um, really great sales demand gen leadership. Fortunate um, right now to actually be in tandem with one as well. So um, love connecting people and, and giving them a chance to kind of grow uh, and, and find the right people to connect with, which is a huge part of what I do. So um, more than willing. So reach out on LinkedIn if you have any questions. I always, always love taking those messages. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, it would mean the world to us if you'd share this episode with your friends or colleagues who might find this helpful. Until next time.